Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. All right, I've got uh, three games that I played in this week to recap. Uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, 5th uh, Edition D&D Salt Marsh, and Dungeon Crawl Classics. But before I get into that, I've got a call from Daniel Norton of the Bandits Keep uh, podcast and YouTube channel. Be sure and check out his work, uh, both on YouTube and here on Anchor, when you get a chance. Uh, so take it away, Daniel. Hey, BJ. Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in halfway through episode after not having listened to the previous episodes because my card just played the most recent one first. But anyways, you guys are talking about Tales from the Yawning Portal. And I got to say, I mean, I don't know if you, if Carl actually ran anything from it or if you have. Maybe you'll say that later. But I think that product is kind of terrible. And the reason why is because they didn't really change anything. So, because I had White Plume Mountain, which I was running in my 5th edition campaign. And I was like, oh, great, I'll get this. And I can kind of see how they handle some of the you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's like things that are basically DM fiat and tests and stuff like that that you need to do in there. And I'm like, I want to see how 5e handles it. And they didn't make any changes at all, nor tell you how to do it. And if you just went by the basic rules of 5e, it, it was like a, you could just walk through it so easily. And I played in Tomb of Horrors and it was a joke. Uh, it, it was, it was absolutely way too easy for a fifth edition group to, to complete Tomb of Horrors. Now, that being said, the Goodman Games stuff, which I have not run, but I've kind of looked through, it looks to me like they actually rewrote them for 5th edition, or at least they added a bunch of 5th edition stuff. So, again, for 5th edition, which means it'll actually work better and you won't have these weird situations where it's like, well, okay, in this situation, you know, it, uh, every round this happens, but in, a, in AD&D, a round is one minute, or in a turn is, is ten minutes, and they use that stuff effectively in some of these modules that you don't have in 5th edition. So it throws off, like, everything, basically. But anyway, that's... Uh, so, yeah, the, the Goodman game stuff, yes. Young and Portal, no, for me, anyways. Um, I'm curious what other people think if they've used it. But, uh, yeah, I, I felt like Young and Portal was, was a waste of my money. And, honestly, I when I read through it, I just kind of, like, threw it back on my shelf and never looked at it and just ran with the old module because they absolutely didn't give me any new information that I wanted. Hey, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> I have ran the Sunless Citadel from Tales from the Yawning Portal, and it ran fine. Uh, I ran it with some some people who'd never played D&D before. We started off, we, we played 5th edition, um, and then we, we we're going to move on to the second one, um, the Forge of Fury. So I started prepping for that, but then we, we, we haven't ran it yet. I don't know if we ever will. Those went really well, but those are 3rd edition modules. Um, and you know, I think 3rd edition probably... Contains a lot of similar design philosophy to fifth edition, so so they were converted over pretty well um, and ran. I think as I I would have expected, particularly for for first, second, third level characters. Um, but I didn't get to any of the obviously to the stuff that they ported in from AD and D. I suspect the stuff that's come that's from third and D and D next playtext um, probably works okay for fifth edition, but. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't dive into any of the AD and D stuff they included, you know. Um, so that's unfortunate. They didn't think to. to uh, hey, this is this particular thing is is kind of incongruous with the way Fifth Edition works. Why don't we come up with a comparable way that Fifth Edition handles this kind of a situation? 
because that's exactly what Goodman does in their conversions of these basic and AD&D modules to uh, 5th edition is when they encounter something that's like, you know, in 5th edition this would be handled this way. So, so they just they just change it instead of just telling you to... I'm Like, like I was thinking of like a random encounter, you know, it says here's, here's the random encounter for this level of the dungeon. Um, you know, it happens on one on a D12. Well, you can, that, that, that's perfectly fine in fifth edition. And then here's the table. If, if one comes up, you know, roll, roll a D6 and here's what they encounter. That works perfectly well for fifth edition. But then when it comes to things like there's a, there's a hidden treasure, treasure partial or a hidden, you know, anywhere in the original where it says they have a, you know, a one in six chance or there's some kind of dice involved, um, whether it's percentage or, or D6 or whatever, they go ahead and convert that to a mathematically comparable perception or investigation check or whatever the case may be um, in, a, you know, when, when they would, you'd call for an ability check or, or something that's uncertain and have to roll the dice on anything that they convert it to. A fifth, the fifth edition style of rule, which is, is the saving throw, an ability check, a skill, you know, roll or whatever that might be. So, yeah, I do appreciate that about the Goodman games and I, you know, I, I thought it might be fun to run Tomb of Horrors out of Yawning Portal as a preview to then doing the uh, Tomb of Annihilation, um, just as a just to kind of as a kind of bookend um, for that 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 Schult-based adventure. Uh, but now now it's good to know that that didn't work quite as well because you you definitely don't want the Tomb of Horrors or White Plume Mountain either one to be a, a cakewalk. Uh, and uh, yeah. Fifth edition characters are tougher. I think you have to you have to amp up your game uh, if you want to have that same experience. It can be done, but you have to you have to do it. You can't just you can't just convert the module without taking into account those kinds of things. So uh, I'll take a look at those. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sorry that product didn't work out for you. It worked good for me, but but I haven't used the whole thing, and I've only like I said, I've just run the one adventure in full and kind of dip my toe into the second one and those may share a little more common design philosophy and approach with fifth edition given that they're coming from third edition as opposed to coming from AD&D. So thanks for the call, Daniel. Hope to hear from you again. Wednesday night, um, I played in a Pathfinder second edition game. This is my second, uh, our second session of this game. Uh, we are playing through the, um, Abomination Vaults Adventure Path. Uh, <clears throat> this is a game with, ran by Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. I'm playing a wizard, a human wizard named uh, Dr. Eliazar. His background is that he is a uh, he's a physician, and he's in he is in search of information on this uh, obscure form of magic called flesh warping. Um, that is used to basically create mutations, magical mutations, I think. Um, and so, uh, even though there's kind of some sinister connotations, I think his motivation is that maybe it holds a way to helping to, you know, legitimately help people who, who have diseases or uh, physical conditions that it might improve. But there's always a chance he could, he could turn into a Dr. Frankenstein type character. Um, the other party are uh, Goblin De La Hood, <laughs> played by Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Uh, his original name for this character was Goblin Hood. He was a goblin archer, um, but he, he he changed it to sort of a 
a pseudo-French type of spelling. To, so it's not just Goblin Hood. It's Goblin, Y-N-E, Goblin de la Hood. H-O-D-E, I think is how he's spelling it. Anyway, Goblin de la Hood. Um, it's a goblin fighter who's focused on the use of a bow. <clears throat> and then we have Cremac, a, a dwarf paladin, played by one of the other players who isn't a podcaster. And then our newest member is uh, Felbar, a gnome uh, who is an oracle, which in Pathfinder is, is a, another type of divine spellcaster. Um, I think originally the idea was that they were to clerics what sorcerers are to wizards, with more of the spontaneous casting. Uh, not know enough about two second edition Pathfinder to know if that's really what the case is. I'm, I'm sure Carl can call in and correct me if, if, I, if I'm, I'm mistaken on that. But again, Felbar is played by another character who's not a podcaster, so we, we don't name those guys out in the open since they're not part of the, the podcast scene. <clears throat> anyway, but where we left off last time is this uh, the um, Gauntlet Keep, which is this ancient ruined lighthouse uh, in an abandoned suddenly started to emit light and the, the people in the local village are, are kind of concerned about it. Um, there's an, a, an old, you know, local, it, it, the, the town was founded by an adventuring party who kind of defeated this, this evil surrounded the, you know, related to the gauntlet keep, I think is the, the implication. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, so people are kind of concerned that this it's lit up again. You know, what, what might this mean? So we uh, we started off last time outside the keep. It was it was my character, Doctor LZR Goblin the Hood, and Cromac the Dwarf Paladin um, went in and explored a little bit, and I detailed that in my last summary. But we we got to the point where we felt like we couldn't go any further. Um, we were being drawn farther into the ruins and. One of these little mifflet, which is a type of uh, mitflet, which is a type of gremlin, was kind of running ahead and triggering encounters with other groups of his his, his allies. And at last, we heard him calling for the boss. So we thought, well, you know, we're running low on. We, we've kind of starting to take a beating now through through a couple of encounters. So we decided to go back to town. And from a metagame perspective, we knew, hey, let's wrap it up and go back to town because that'll be a place where new players can join us for next time, and and we can we can come back and explore the more of the ruins. Um, so we got back to, we started off back in town. Um, we had, uh, taken some ears off the mitflits and I had collected some of their brains as specimens, uh, thinking they, they're kind of fey. So there might be some magical properties that would be useful in, in magical research. Um, Goblin de la Hood took the ears to the local constable, got us some reward for that. And then I proceeded, Dr. Uh, Eleazar, to a, a, a local place called um, Ren's Wonders, which is ran by uh, Ren, who is an elf tiefling in, in Pathfinder 2E. So, so in, in, in D&D, at least D&D as we've established it for 4th for, for and 5th edition, um, the current iteration of D&D, you know, tieflings are their own thing. It doesn't matter if a tiefling... As a child by a human, by a dwarf, by an orc, by an elf, the child is a tiefling. So, so if you have tiefling blood, you're a tiefling. Uh, here it's treated more as a bloodline, so, so you have a base species, human, elf, 
dwarf, halfling, whatever it might be. And then tiefling gets mixed into it. So, so Ren is an elf who is a tiefling. She's an elven tiefling. Um, and she runs a curio shop. She's kind of an eccentric. She's an astrologer. Um, so that's the place we, we think maybe we can, uh, you know, sell these brains as possible. <laughs> Curiosities or magic, magic reagents. And she says, you know, it kind of works on consignment. People leave things there and if she can sell them to someone, then she'll, you know, give you your cut. Uh, so I, I leave these with her and, and swap them out for some clean, empty specimen jars to, to have next time in my next foray. Uh, she says, come back later after after the stars come out and I will tell the fortunes of you and your, your companions. So I meet, we, we all regroup at the <clears throat> this tavern. It's called the Rowdy Rockfish, which is funny because it's, Described as a surprisingly calm and quiet tavern as opposed to the other taverns in town, which are very rowdy. And I kind of made a joke that, hey, it's the rowdy rockfish. I wonder if they have like a, you know, the Billy Big Bass mouth. They have a, a magical rockfish on the on the, on a plaque that, that sings and flops around. And um, Carl thought that was worthy enough to actually make happen. So so they do have this magical, an- magically animated uh, singing and, and moving mounted fish on the wall of a, of a rockfish. Uh, but this is where we, we get introduced to Felbar. He's in the, he's in there, um, just, just kind of on his own. And we come in and, you know, fresh off a, a day of adventure and, and a little bit of, you know, we didn't make a lot of money, but we got a little bit. So we offered to buy him, you know, include him in our round of drinks, start talking to him and, you know, kind of get to introduce all our characters, reintroduce who we are and who he is. And then we're like, hey, we're going to go get our fortune told. Why don't you come with us? So he comes along with us. And so um, this is a wren, this this elf tiefling. She's got a big telescope. So she takes us out on the balcony and shows us her telescope. And she looks up at the stars and she's taking some notes. And we watch her go through all these obscure <clears throat> calculations. There's, there's a sense that I get that there is magic about it. Even though she says it's not magic, it's science. There, there's something magical going on. And then she she tells our fortune. <clears throat> and the, one of the things she tells us is that it was very fortunate that we have sort of met Felbar and he, he's kind of with us and that, that we should remain companions. Um, and then uh, as, as the night wears on, um, it's, uh, it's, it's getting late because we had to come after the sunset. So she says, you know, just crash here because it's always nice to have adventurers who can guard the shop <laughs> overnight if anything happens. So um, we, we, we just kind of bunk down there for the night. Um, and uh, set out the next day to return to the to the old ruins of the um, Gauntlet Keep. We retraced our steps, started to, um, and we had noticed where previously uh, we had noted there's a there's sort of a moat around this the ruins. There's a moat house and a bridge that we had crossed, gone through the moat house before and crossed the bridge into the into the ruins of the, the castle or whatever it is. Uh, but but there's another tower connected by a bridge that we had noticed before that that these it seems like the myth the Mitflits had connected it, caused some vines to sort of. There's a way they could use vines to cross from the moat house to this other landing. Um, and there seems to be a dead, dead one just kind of dangling there. 
over the, the this uh, platform in the distance. Uh, but I noticed. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was me that noticed it. My character that rolled the on our perception. That there's another live um, nitflip that's using the vines to dangle it over the water. We weren't really sure what it was up to, but we kind of recognized it as the one that kept <laughs> fleeing at the uh, fleeing with he maybe had we had him almost dead and he ran into the next room and activated another encounter and then he hid in the back while we took care of that encounter and then when that went against the mitlets he ran out the, the next door into the next encounter so um we to kind of have a have it in for this guy uh so <clears throat> Goblin De La Hood takes a shot and rolls a crit. And Jason did this. He, <laughs> the dice were with Jason until they weren't. It, 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 you know, just the kind of thing that happens when you play uh, role-playing games. He, 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 I think he critted this one and just, just savagely. I mean, just just plugged this guy, um, and dropped him right there before he could could, could react. And do whatever he was planning to do. We still don't know what he was using. Do whether he was he was dangling this thing over the water to try to summon some. You know, if there's some kind of crocodiles or or some kind of monster in the in the water that it was trying to get the attention of, or it was just trying to draw us nearer into an ambush. We don't know. But so we just retraced our our former steps and were able to make our way through the ruins and then out to where we had left off the last battle and then. Through a door there, we, we find ourselves on the same platform that's, that's crossing another part of the moat into a tower. Uh, and this seemed to be where this guy was running to say, hey, boss, help, help, the last time. Uh, but there's this skeleton, like this eight-foot-tall skeleton. Looks like it's posted guard. It's not It's not an undead skeleton. It's just a big skeleton standing outside the, the doorway to go into this tower that's connected to the keep. Um, I say it's a tower. It may have been some other kind of structure, but... Uh, and it looks like, you know, we, as Cromack, uh, the, the dwarf, inspects it, it looks like it's um, it's got a big mace or yeah, a morning star. It's got a, it's got a morning star, and it, it's kind of connected to where, rigged up so that if you uh, topple it, it'll it'll set off some kind of we can just tell it's trapped it's gonna it's gonna do something uh so goblin de la hood even though he's a he's a fighter he's got some training as a as a as a, a criminal he's got some uh thievery ability so he comes up and he, they're able to disarm disarm the trap and recover this mace which is is not worn to the extent that the skeleton so it's pretty clear that this is a magic magic weapon of some kind uh and Carmack listens at the door he can hear several voices which we need to you know, deduces or, or mitflits and they're talking and we decide, you know, we're just going to kick in the door and get the drop on them. So he kicks in the door. Um, Jason playing Goblin De La Hood. He, he gets off a couple of really good shots. He, I think he drops the, uh, he drops the, uh, the Goblin King. Actually, I think I got my spell off first. It was, it was a, an, a, like a, like a, Arcane bolt. It's kind of like chain lightning. And they're in there. There's, there's, I think, four or five mephlets, and then they've got this one who's got a crown on his head and this big spider uh, kind of next to it. So I, I think I hit the spider, and then it arced over to the king and kind of did a little damage to each of them. But then, but then Jason 
very quickly finished off this mitflip king or boss or whatever again with very high rolls with with crits and um just i think did he killed him outright i did i did minimal damage to him and then he killed him outright so most of the credit goes there um and then uh so we roll initiative for for an actual combat and uh Kramak, the, the dwarf charges in and and Continue to fight with the spider, and then the, the, the other mephiles start to circle in on him. Um, he's then joined by Felbar the gnome as well. Um, although before Felbar got into the fight, he cast a spell that kind of meant that the spider would take, um, I can't remember which spell it was, but it would, the spider would have more trouble, difficulty hitting Kramok uh, the dwarf. And then Kramak would have more of an advantage. I think he got a bonus to hit the spider. So tipping that particular fight in the advantage of, of our ally. Uh, and then I, I did a sleep spell, and I think I I put one one midflip to sleep, and one of them I, I kind of slowed him down for a minute, but I didn't quite put him to sleep um, because he, he saved. Then... Um, <clears throat> uh, Jason got a, at some point he, he was like he said he's rolling really good with his, his archery and then he rolled a critical failure and uh, he rolled on the table and, and what Carl came up with was that his, his bow cracked and was no more no longer useful until he could get it repaired so it wasn't broken beyond repair but it wasn't going to be useful until it gets repaired so he had to for the first time you know pull up his, his axe hand axe and a shield and go into some melee combat. Uh, but at that point, we'd pretty much turned the tide of the battle and and uh, won. So, and we were in pretty good health, so we didn't, didn't have to go back to town. But but that was a point where we got to stop. So that's a pretty quick summary. It, it, it did you know? It sounds like it, not much happened, but a lot did happen between role playing some stuff in town and getting some information, and and then going back. And and even though we really only had one fight, it, it was it was a good you know two, three hour session. So. Um, great game. Enjoying playing with those guys. Carl runs a really good game. Uh, and so we'll play that again in another couple of weeks. All right. Saturday morning. Uh, not quite the same crew as the Pathfinder game. <laughs> Back to Dungeon Crawl Classics again with Carl Rodriguez running the uh, the game as, as our game master. And... <clears throat> This this is uh, I'm playing um, Burnfred the cleric. Um, we are once again joined by Jason Carnerly in this group, who is playing Idris the necromancer, uh, and then um, Arlen Walker from uh, live from Palms Wasteland podcast and YouTube is playing Ardath the human warrior, and then Otto the dwarf, who's uh, player actually couldn't make it today. Um, it's kind of the reverse of the last time. Okay, last time we played. Uh, Arlen wasn't able to make it, so we we did a, a flashback where it was just the other three characters. Um, so, uh, but this time we we decided to get back to the main adventure, and we just kind of took steps to make sure that Otto, uh, even though we we used him, he never <laughs> he didn't die, even though he came close once. Um, but uh, but um, and that was partially on me as a cleric, um, not rolling as well. <laughs> As I had in the first two or three sessions of this game, it wasn't quite as bad as the previous one, where I couldn't do anything 
spell or magic wise, but but it, it was the we, we finally had to take a rest primarily because the spellcasters were starting to lose their spells and uh, but where we picked up we had, we had charged into this we fought our way into this castle that's sitting in this uh, small lake um, with these plant creatures that had been harassing us from the moment we came through the portal to this we don't know if we're on a different world or a different part of our world but we came from a very desert host, hostile desert dry area into this very verdant uh, place of forested hills and mountains um, and pretty soon came on this castle but from the time we stepped through the portal we were sent on by these weird four-armed plant creatures with, they were just nasty and vicious and you know, at first we tried to talk to them and they they wouldn't entertain any sort of, uh, hey, you know, we're not here to cause any trouble. They just attack, attack. Um, and so we had we had come across this castle where we thought, well, maybe we can go in there and rest because the, the forest just seems so hostile. But, of course, this place turns out to be full of those things. Uh, and we had we had done pretty well against a pretty large group of them. So we pushed farther in the castle and what we where we left off is – there were a bunch of them kind of looked like they were getting ready for some kind of feast or, or something in, in a feast hall, but there was a hag in there chanting. That's where we left off. So uh, we decided to, um, you know, they, they were, the, the hag was chanting and preparing for something, so they didn't really notice us looking through the, the door at them. Um, so again, I started off rolling pretty bad. I, I think I tried to turn turn them again because I can turn these kind of creatures because of the I'm a, I'm a neutral cleric. It didn't work, but uh, Idris, played by Jason, uh, <laughs> decided to use his magic missile, new magic missile spell against the hag, and he rolled so high he did like fifty points of damage uh, and just obliterated this hag before she could react or even notice our presence. So that sends all these creatures into a frenzy. Uh, so uh, Ardoth, the fighter, just Arlen, he, he just comes into the room and starts swinging. We, we've got him enlarged. Idris has got him enlarged to, to a large size. So he's doing, he's got, he's tougher and he's doing more damage and he's swinging this huge magical two-handed sword and he's just cleaving through things. And so that fight went pretty well. Uh, some morale broke on some of them. They they fled uh, out some doors, and, and we were doing pretty good, like we were last time. Uh, and then it looked at, we looked we can see that one of the adjacent rooms is a kitchen, and there's some of them in there, and they don't want to come in the room. But we hear this kind of growl, and a troll emerges from the kitchen, and he comes straight at me, and he's speaking in a language I don't speak. I think it was giant, and so at first it looked like maybe he was just like lecturing me, like maybe, like because he didn't notice the the body of the hag. Um, but then he switched when I didn't understand him, the troll switched to common and said something like, Oh, you look tasty. So he clearly wasn't trying to, uh, <laughs> make friends. Um, so that, you know, I'm there standing in the, the, you know, in the attack range of the troll. I can't just turn around and run away without a promote, promoting attack of opportunity, but I got pretty good armor. Um, Ardath is within range of the troll. He turns to face the troll. And, of course, you know, it's hard to take down a troll because they keep getting hit points back. <laughs> so uh, Arlen was given a pretty good um, beating 
Um, but in the meantime, because this troll has now introduced a new level of danger and, and something we can't just put down immediately, some of these other plant creatures start to regroup and come back. And we, and we pretty soon we find ourselves surrounded. Um, so we kind of had Otto in the back because his player wasn't there. Otto, Otto the dwarf, who's also enlarged though and and and, and enhanced for combat, um, kind of got him into the fight. But but he went he went down. I was able to heal him and, and keep him from from dying. Uh, but um, we did we managed to finally overcome the troll. Uh, Ardeth, the, the warrior, cut his head off. We we. There were two fireplaces, so we put one head in one fireplace and his body in another fireplace. Uh, and inspected the kitchen, uh, found a key ring that appears to have all the keys to this, uh, to to the rooms in the this castle. Um, but at this point, we were all, I I I mean I had accumulated a lot of deity disfavor. Uh, Jason and I lost three of my first level, four first level spells. Jason's character had lost one of his spells, um, and then had another one that he'd lost in the previous session that hadn't, we hadn't rested for it to come back yet. So we thought we need to, we need to take a rest. You know, we don't want to go back out in the forest. We thought, well, we have the keys to the, to the keep. Maybe we can, uh, lock ourselves in a room and even if they're, there more we know that we can tell there are more things because some of them ran away uh some of them fear some of them appearing look like they were maybe going for reinforcements uh, so we decided to go ahead and take a rest after a quick inspection of the dining hall and the kitchen well there's a cauldron that looks it, it looks uh nicer than there's a stew boiling in one cauldron and another one that's boiling this nasty putrid green stuff we're not sure what so we dumped that out it appears that the cauldron may be, we suspect it might be magical. It, it, it's too light um, to, to pick up for its size. And it's cleaner and in, in better condition than anything in the castle. So we, we noticed that in the dining hall, there's a portrait of a woman, kind of a sinister looking woman, human. Uh, and there's a plaque that names her as, is an oxen. Um, but... There are daggers, two daggers stabbed into the wall into her eyes. And one of those daggers turns out to be to, to be magical once we inspect them and use detect magic. Um, so Idris takes those daggers out and then behind the portrait chalked into the wall, it says, you have been late again, two of the three are now mine. So we, we don't know what that means. I mean, we think, well, we just killed a hag. Hags often come in threes. You know, does that mean, you know, this was the this was the third the, the last remaining? Is someone like taking this hag's, you know, s- sisters or the other members of her coven, uh, or what could that? We don't know. We don't have any other clues. So we decide to uh, we open open one other room in, in this kind of an exterior tower of the castle, and it's uh, empty. There's some swords hanging on the wall, but it's otherwise empty. But it's got a round grate in the center. Uh, so <clears throat> Ardath, the, the warrior, goes in to, to kind of poke around and see what, what's going on there. And the, the swords animate and come to life, but he's able to, to pretty easily uh, destroy these four flying animated swords. The more interesting thing is there's some growling and roaring coming from the grate. So we kind of look down in there, and there's this huge, bigger than the 
troll bigger than the one we fought and it's like roaring kind of a defiant challenge up up to the uh room we're in and uh we also kind of figure out there's some loose uh like if you were to just step on that grate and not pay attention to what you're doing, you'd fall through and it'd be like a trap. So I, I outlined in chalk kind of where the loose place is so we don't step on it. And we thought, well, there's a, tr- there's a troll in a dungeon pit beneath us, but it can't reach us. Uh, we don't know what else is out, out among here in the, the castle. So we just locked the doors to this room and, and decided to go ahead and rest. And we are able to get a rest and heal up. But... Um, there's noises and bumps in the night, but we're able to, to rest and, and reset. Um, but in the morning, we, we, we you know, there's a some, some knocking and then a demand from the other side. The, the troll beneath us starts to growl and, and, and roar again, but it doesn't seem to be at any of us. It seems to be... He senses something up there near us, and so I think w- w- what it indicates is there's maybe another, a rival troll outside the door <laughs> trying to get in. But we also hear a, another, what we presume it is another hag saying, you know, you killed my sister, um, and this, you know, but if you give me back my ca- our cauldron, I'll let you leave. So now we're kind of, that's kind of where we left off. We're kind of in this standoff with what we presume is to be a ha- another hag and another troll on the other side of the door with some more of the, the, the remainder of these plant creatures. Obviously there's a, a level below us. Uh, we could kind of tell from looking down in there that there may be exits out of the room that this big troll is in. We know there's a level above us as well. Um, so the thought is, well, do we, do we negotiate with the hag? Do we kick open the door? And I mean, we, we made it okay the last time against a hag and a troll and a, a bunch of these creatures. But the other thing we were thinking about is this this troll doesn't seem to be angry at us. It seems to be eager to fight another troll. Um, Carl said after we kind of we made some some ability checks and putting two and two together, it almost seems like maybe this is a um, the black sheep of the family that they they've kind of locked away, <laughs> so he doesn't like the other trolls. Um, but maybe if we could get it to be on our side, so we thought, well, what do we? Why don't we give it some food? Um, but we had to, we time was up, so that's where we left off. Is we're going to discuss maybe maybe online through our the Discord server for the game. What we want to start with next time? Do we try to befriend the troll? Do we want to just drop down there where it is and take our chances with it first, and then try to explore the bottom side without you know a way out or, or some other way of sort of taking the the castle uh, for our own sort of. I don't know, temporary base of opera. I don't know. Who knows how long we'll be here. Anyway, we've, we've got a little bit of planning to do as we negotiate with this second hag. Um, so again, a great game. We had a lot of fun. I appreciate playing with these guys. And, and as always, Carl is a great uh, game master. So, so that's Dungeon Crawl Classics. Saturday night, I got to play uh, in the Ghosts of Saltmarsh 5th edition game. This is a game I've joined late, so I'm, I'm the newcomer to the party. They're already we're on the verge of 7th level, uh, so I came in uh, as a 6th level character for the first thing, and then I leveled up to 7 when everybody else did, so I'm a 7th level paladin. It's kind of neat. As I mentioned last time I talked about this game, I, one of the treasures, just where they happened to be when I entered, was a, uh, a 
a belt of stone giant strength and it was really wasn't a needed by anybody else in the party so the new guy gets this belt of <laughs> stone giant strength so i'm playing a paladin his name is sir hartwin we we fleshed out a little more of his background this time um he's a knight of of keeland uh and so he's been in ghosts of salt marsh they've they've set up a um the situation in salt marsh is there's a fairly new mine several miles away that's brought a little more tension to the region um and so you've got you know salt marsh is kind of growing um but you've got this old the old families of salt marsh who uh have kind of always been very independent and they just kind of manage their own affairs. And now you've got newer people who have moved in as part of this boom who are much more, they see themselves as citizens of Keelan and, and loyal to the crown. And so uh, they're kind of law and order people. They've, they've caused things to happen to sort of crack down on piracy and smuggling and fencing and things like that, which, um, you know, it's not that the, the citizens of Saltmarsh were pirates or thieves or anything, but some of the local pirates and thieves, maybe kind of friends, distant relations, I, th- I think is how it's supposed to work. And so they might have turned a blind eye to some of the, the smuggling and more and more or less victimless kinds of crimes um, for the most part. Um, just so, you know, because these are their friends and neighbors and, and relatives and things like that. Or maybe out of, you know, fear of protection money so that things don't turn violent. You know, it is a, a kind of a port city that deals with, with with pirates and those kinds of figures a lot. Um, so there's this tension among the citizens in Saltmarsh. So, and then there's this adventuring party comes forward before I join them, uh, and, and does a big, deals a big blow to the, the to the pirates and the smugglers and, and has a couple of, uh, important things they do to, to ingratiate themselves to the, the people of the town. Uh, which is reported back to to the crown, and then as a knight in the service of the crown of Keelan, I get dispatched to go uh, try to join this party and 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 help them because they're they're doing good things, and also make myself available to the local authorities on behalf of the crown for any problems I might be having in and around. So I'm kind of the, you know, I'm not I'm not the new sheriff in town. They they have their uh, captain of the guard, their commander. Um, I'm just kind of there to help as needed as a, as a paladin and as a knight. So that, that's my character's kind of wise there. Um, so we started off, n- not many people could make it tonight. So we, the, the DM decided to go ahead and just run with me and the other guy who could make it. Um, the other guy is that made it was playing, um, Caden, who is a, a ranger. So we've got a paladin and a ranger, uh, and, uh, how he sets it up is it's kind of a few days since the last adventure and, and, uh, and Caden is wandering around town kind of stressed out. He didn't, doesn't always get along with his, from my understanding, in character, doesn't always get along with his crewmates in the party. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, Hartwin is, is on his way to try to, to meet the, uh, the commander of the, the guard, uh, and they they had a previous adventure with this guy where they rescued his daughter. So they kind of bump into each other. And it's like, oh hey, how you doing? Where are you uh, where are you going today? And he's so he discovers that we discover that you know I'm going to see the try to find the commander and Card knows him and can show me where where he's likely to be. So we go to this guard tower and and run into the the commander and 
you know, I introduce myself and why I'm there and show them my writ from the, the royal court that, it, that my, my credentials and my bona fides and my station and, and that I'm a knight. And then there's a, a list of sort of tasks that they have that they need maybe help with that they'll pay a reward or a bounty on. And a lot of them have to do with trouble around these mines that are being operated by, by, by a clan of dwarves uh, several miles away. And so we agree to go take a look. Um, so we get there. Um, we establish that I do have a, a summoned mount that I'd summoned him in some time before, never dismissed him, so I don't have the fine steed spell memorized as a paladin, so I couldn't do it, but just that we'd done it before, and then I swapped out my spells the next day, but he's around until I dismiss him or, or he goes down in battle. And I decided that, that my uh, summon mount is a huge, you know, gorgeous black destrier with a you know white star on its forehead and, and snout and you know perfectly <coughs> you know perfect perfect white socks um, on its legs and um, gl- you know gleaming shiny beautiful coat uh, and a big powerful horse. And of course, because he's a paladin's mount in this fifth edition, he's the physical form is as a war horse, but it's of course it's a celestial spirit inside the uh, that, that I that I've summoned, and so um, it's a little smarter and a little little more powerful than than, than a typical war horse, and we have a special connection. So I'm like, hey, you know, hop on. He didn't he, the the ranger didn't have his own horse, so I'm like, hey, hop on. We'll, we'll, you know, he's, there's enough room for both of us. So we we ride the several miles to the mine. It's uh, the dwarves have put up a wall and they've got a barracks where they sleep and a tavern and an office for the leader of the their uh, clan who also sits on the Salt Salt Marsh Town Council currently. Uh, so they're not going to let us in. They're like nobody's allowed in here. And I'm like wait wait wait. And I we again show my credentials and they let us in. And we go into the tavern to have a have a drink and decide what we're going to do. Uh, we're able to, to, to meet with the, uh, the the dwarf who's who she again she sits on the salt marsh salt marsh town council, and is kind of among the loyalist faction because they're here I guess with a by permission of the king to, to operate this mine, <clears throat> even though it's a human kingdom. Um, and she's like, yeah, we've just, miners have been disappearing and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of trouble down there, so so yeah, we need somebody to help us take care of it. We need to kind of keep this discreet. We don't want people freaking out because there's enough tension already. <coughs> we really don't need um, we don't want to be blamed for for problems, and some of the people who are not, some of the old families and the the, the people in Salt Marsh who aren't real happy about increased presence of 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 uh, you know, you know the the, the authorities. We, we don't want to egg them on because they'll blame us for this because we came here and opened the mine. Um, so we go down in the mine to poke our heads around. We find some places where there's been obviously signs of a struggle. There's there's blood. We follow the blood trail <coughs> through a couple other mine, uh, you know, openings in the mine. And then we're ambushed by these three skeletal archers. And they're, these are not your typical skeletal archers. They're pretty, they're pretty to be pretty powerful. They move faster and with more grace um, but there's a five foot chasm separating it, or it's not a huge chasm, it's like a 10 foot, it's five foot wide, about 10 foot deep, 
crevice. Um, so, uh, I jump across and I'm able to engage them in melee because they were doing pretty, they had some special abilities. It was all like fighting. I mean, they were, turns out they were able to kite. They had a, a thing kind of like a rogue's cunning action, uh, where they could, they could disengage and move without provoking an attack of opportunity. So they were just kiting and pelting us with these, uh, enhanced archery abilities they had. And, and, you know, I've got a pretty good armor class plus the, uh, heavy armor master feet, which means I have a damage reduction. Um, and they were, they were doing some pretty serious damage. And of course, being a paladin, the, the DM ruled that they were kind of drawn more to me, um, to, to, you know, I was kind of, which is kind of, I kind of, what am I, the idea I built my character around is, is to kind of draw, be in the thick of things and draw the, <laughs> the attacks as much as I could so that the other characters can use their special abilities and, and training and things like that. So I just jumped the chasm and, and realized quickly, oh, well, these are skeletons I need to abandon. I, and usually my character wields a great sword, but I, I have a flail as a backup weapon. So I, I switched to the flail and was doing pretty good. So they, these things just, uh, while, while the, the, the ranger had used some, uh, he's got some range spells because of the type of ranger he is. And done some, I think, Eldritch Blast. And uh, they were just, they were pretty tough. You know, they didn't go down very easily. Uh, but as soon as we sort of got the upper hand in melee, they all, but we managed to kill one, but the other two slipped away and jumped back across the chasm from where we had come and started shooting shooting at us again with, <laughs> with arrows. <coughs> so I let back across and thought, what am I doing? They, they, they can run away, but I have a, 23 strength because of this belt of giant strength so i ran up on the the, the skeleton that the attack that was closest to me and just grabbed it with a grapple it's like you know it's a plus nine athletics in lieu of check in lieu of attack and he was not able to get away and then i was able to you know, crush his skull in with the flail um the ranger summoned a um uh, an area of thorns um i can't remember the exact name of that spell right now I ought to, as much as I've ran 5e over the last several years. But um, Spike Growth, that's the name of the spell. So the, the other archer couldn't really um, approach without taking a lot of damage. Uh, and it kind of, kind of forced it ultimately to back down this, this tunnel where it could still kind of shoot at us, but it couldn't, it couldn't, it couldn't just move in a lot of different directions um, the way it had been able to. So he drops the spikes and chases it down the tunnel. I tried to use a compelled dual spell, which which paladin is a paladin spell that means if you can get the spell on an enemy, they have to fight you. They can't move more than 30 feet away from you, and they they take a penalty if they try to make attacks that don't include you. Um, so it really is designed to kind of pin down an enemy. And that's like, well, if I can't, He's gotten far enough away that I can't run up and grab him. Maybe I can keep him from running farther away so he can't do that to my partner when he gets up on him for a melee attack. But the, he made a saving throw. So I had to chase it down a little bit more, but we ultimately overcame it. But we got beat up pretty bad. Uh, not, not, I mean, there for a second I was thinking, wow, we're going to die. But we made it. At some point, you know, as, as I'm fighting with one of the skeletons, the ranger, um, Caden did use a cure light wounds to kind of keep me from going too far down because they were really, I was drawn aggro, as you would say, in a, 
<laughs> in World of Warcraft because I'm a paladin and then, you know, the undead just kind of sense that divine power, I guess. Um, but then, then, you know, I, I had, I basically used my lay on hands to kind of, we, we, we split the, split the, the pool of lay on hands I had when the battle was over and thought, you know, I don't think we're going to make it much farther without the rest of the party. Why don't we go, go get them? Well, he has a, he has a, a stone, a magical stone that I guess in the previous quest where they had res- rescued the, the commander's, um, watch commander's daughter. She said, here, you can use this to contact me if you ever, if you ever need anything we can help you with. So he uses that to send a message to her to say, send the rest of our party here and we'll be waiting for them here at the, at the mines. So we went back to the tavern and, and, uh, I said, give us the strongest stuff you have. <laughs> uh, and so um, the bartender gives us the strongest stuff, this being a dwarven tavern that they have. And uh, we both had to roll constitution saves. We both failed our constitution saves before the DM kind of told us what happened. We, well, what do you think you did? Well, the the ranger also can play the lute, so he starts playing the lute. And I was like, well, my character starts leading everybody in a sing-along, and we're having a good time, and then we wake up in their barracks with her- terrible headaches and hangovers, and apparently had caused quite a ruckus the night before. And, um, you know, we got a stern lecture from the uh, the the dwarf who's in charge of everything, um, and then we're just going to kind of wait there and get our heads clear and rest some more until the <laughs> the rest of the party catches up, and that's where we ended. So that was a really fun little side quest, I think. Fortunately, we kind of got, I think we got into what was intended for the entire party and, and quickly learned, you know, we, we, I guess we tested the, the waters to see how dangerous things were and then did a retreat and they're going to wait for everybody else to show up. But I had a lot of fun. This is a new group. I, I, don't, I don't know any of these people very well. It was just, I just kind of responded to a comment on a, on a, on a, on a message board about, you know, I'm going to running this game and I'm looking for one or two more players. So that's, that's how we got into it. I got into this. So, but I'm enjoying it. Everybody that it seems pretty cool so far. And I'll, you know, as, as that game goes on, I will continue to provide updates. And that'll just about do it. Uh, I want to thank Daniel Norton again for his call at the top of the episode. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening to the podcast I appreciate you taking some time to uh, to hear me rat- prattle on about <laughs> my, my nerdy hobbies. And uh, I'll be back later. Take care out there. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com. And the music is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, Give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, and I'll be back in the future with another episode.